Hey everybody, it's Dr. Sam Byrne and we've got a great show today. I'm going to be talking about visual snow. Uh, Are there any negative side effects to glutathione? I'm also going to be answering a question about a rare retinal disease. And then I'm going to take a rapid fire set of questions from a lady who's got uh, all kinds of eye conditions. And then last, I'm going to talk about the side effects of LASIK surgery and something called white dot syndrome. So stay tuned. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Sam Byrne. I'd like to welcome you to another Eye Clarity podcast. We're getting some great questions today. So I think I'm going to take a question from a listener who is writing in about a condition called visual snow. And she writes that uh, when she's in a room uh, and things tend to darken, there's a staticky experience. So it's like, you know, when you watch TV and there's static on the TV, this is what she's experiencing. She does say that she suffers from a bit of anxiety. What can she do about it? Well, visual snow is a phenomenon where a person actually looks out and sees a very snowy or static condition. This would be similar to like a television reception that's just not working well. And it can either be transitory or it can be consistently persistent, meaning that, uh, you know, it can take up the overall peripheral vision or it can also be noticeable if you're looking at objects where there's a darker background. Uh, Some people have experienced it, something like camera noise in low-light conditions, but it's variable uh, based on, you know, many factors. And nobody really knows exactly what causes visual snow. I'm going to bring in a research study that was done at the University of California in San Francisco, where a group of researchers uh, studied visual snow Uh, with uh, about 120 individuals who reported these symptoms. Now, researchers concentrated only about half of the group because it was half the group that really experienced the solid stationary black and white dots as part of the daily experience uh, that they called visual snow. Uh, And what researchers found is that there was a correlation between migraine headaches and visual snow. But also, this was very interesting, they uh, concluded that one of the biggest factors involved with people who were experiencing visual snow had to do with a history of taking hallucinogenic drugs. But overall, they wrote in the, you know, in the conclusions that they're not really sure what the causes are of Uh, visual snow, and the only thing they have to offer at this time possibly would be things like anti-seizure medications. So I'm going to chime in here, and I'm going to say that with visual snow, I have found that there's a correlation between visual stress, and this has to do with functionally how you use your two eyes together. It also is based on the demand that you're, you know, being asked to do with your vision. So It can be related sometimes to doing a lot of digital time or being in traumatic or stressful situations just generally or having a history 
of things like traumatic brain injury, uh, a history of pharmaceutical drugs. I would certainly put hallucinogenic drugs in that category as well. If you suffer uh, conditions like you know depression or anxiety, uh, these can also contribute uh, hormonal imbalances, and uh, I would probably include migraine, migraine headaches in the mix as well. So looking at this from an overall perspective, because again, my philosophy is that whatever's in the eyes, whatever's going on in the eyes or the eye area, there's some thread that's affecting our systemic and metabolic health. And so, uh, you know, taking a look at what foods are you eating, maybe track that there may be certain foods that you eat that triggers the visual snow. Fatigue, this is another thing. So are you getting enough sleep? Are you being exposed to EMF pollution? Uh, are you dealing with that? Are you under a lot of wireless uh, bombardment? And, uh, you, know, what, and you know, what kind of uh, support are you getting in terms of stress reduction, lifestyle? Are you getting enough exercise? Uh, at least 20 to 30 minutes of, of natural sunlight every day. Uh, and, you know, what's, what's really fascinating about this is that I've definitely helped a lot of people with visual snow, but I've done it in ways that I would have never thought would have worked. You know, things like using essential oils, my essential oils protocol, uh, which has to do with using sweet fennel, carrot seed, saffron, and frankincense um, around the eyes or on the soles of the feet because I'm oxygenating the body more when, when uh, I'm recommending essential oils, especially if it's a good quality company. Another thing is the eye exercises. One of my favorite ones is the end palm hum. So when a person is starting to experience the visual snow, by calming their system down, this may be a way to uh, reduce some of the symptoms. And you can find that exercise on my website. So check that out. Eating an anti-inflammatory diet, exploring inflammation in your body, toxicities, exposure to both environmental toxicities, heavy metal toxicities. And again, I talked about uh, being uh, exposed to things like traumatic events and stress. Um, it's a gnarly uh, condition in that there isn't, you know, a, an answer to the, uh, the problem that would work with a lot of people. I find it's very individually based. Oh, one last thing. I think that I would recommend in this case finding a good craniosacral therapist. And if you get some really awesome cranial work, this is one of the best ways to reset your nervous system, open up your circulation, and this could neutralize some of the visual snow uh, experience that you may be having. So I do hope that's helpful. I'm sorry I don't have a more definitive answer. Uh, we need to do more research on it, that's for sure. So thank you so much for the question. I really, really appreciate it. This next question is very interesting because it's a, it's a question about glutathione. And this is from Sharon. Uh, now, she writes a really long uh, discourse. And the gist of the question, if I distil, uh, distill it, is that can the glutathione drops ever give someone chronic cough? Uh, and are there any allergies to glutathione? What's the deal? Because I'm, I'm having all kinds of problems. Now, just a little health history about Sharon. 
She's been diagnosed with autoimmune disease. She's taken uh, different kinds of drugs uh, over the years. Uh, her immune system is a bit compromised. So there's a lot going on there. And immediately what we do is we go towards, you know, the positive things that are probably helping us, but it's triggering some kind of a detox reaction. So I'm going to talk about glutathione in two ways. The first is something called methylation. And this is a, this is a buzzword today because methylation um, and glutathione are going hand in hand. In fact, um, if we talk about things called methyl groups, these are really important for our body in terms of fighting stress, recycling glutathione, uh, the detoxification of chemicals and heavy metals, dealing with an inflammatory response, uh, repairing the DNA, improving neurotransmitters in the brain, increasing our energy, uh, improving the immune system. But if you, if you have a methylation problem, then you're not going to be able to absorb glutathione very well. And if you do have a methylation problem, this is probably related at some level to an autoimmune disease. So the glutathione is supposed to help neutralize things called free radicals. It can also help reduce inflammation, assist in the role of uh, absorbing other antioxidants like lipoic acid, vitamin E, vitamin C. And glutathione contains uh, sulfur groups, which are sticky compounds that act like flypaper that stick to the toxins and they help carry the uh, toxicities out of the body. So in a perfect world, uh, if you're able to methylate glutathione, then you're going to be able to detox better. Now, how are some, what are some ways that you can actually improve methylation? Let me run through the list. Make sure you get enough B vitamins in your diet. Uh, sources of B vitamins in terms of foods would be things like um, sunflower seeds, walnuts, almonds, asparagus, fish and eggs, uh, dark leafy green vegetables. Of course, if you're going to do fish, I would try to do wild-caught salmon. And if you're going to do eggs, I would do pasture-fed eggs. Eating a lot of green vegetables. This is very helpful improving methylation. Uh, there can be supplements like magnesium zinc and zinc that can improve our ability to methylate. Increasing your probiotics. And it isn't just taking a pro probiotics. It's taking a probiotics that has a very diverse um, family colony unit uh, set of organisms so that, you know, you vary the probiotics, you take more, you can do prebiotics, um, organic sauerkraut, kimchi, you know, I've talked about these things before. Um, so the methylation is one part of it, Sharon, that I would definitely, definitely look at. Now, um, the other thing about glutathione is that it definitely is really positive for the body, but it does depend on how you take it. And in some studies that I've seen, people that inhale glutathione, it could actually affect your lungs and trigger some kind of a breathing incident. Um, now, with glutathione, it's really important that you check out um, the source of it, you know, who makes it, 
how well you can absorb it. You know, you can do IV glutathione with your doctor, and I think you talked about that. Uh, you can do sublingual, you can do liposomal. And there are pros and cons all the way around in terms of what you want to take. Certainly, uh, you need to be aware of that there can be some side effects and risks to taking glutathione. And if you don't want to take the supplement, guess what? You can get glutathione from your food. So what foods contain glutathione? Spinach, avocados, asparagus, broccoli, garlic, onion. Uh, so it's a tricky thing. I think you've got to find an adept and skillful functional medicine doctor who can navigate and walk you through this and look, look at you not only as a whole person, uh, so there's an integrative approach, and not just selling you his or her speciality, because that's what happens with a lot of doctors, even the holistic field, they're just promoting their own specialty, and they're not integrating the, the whole picture. So I don't have a definitive answer for you. I think generally you must have some glutathione in your body, whether your liver produces, produces it, whether you get it from your foods, and just to figure out what is the best way that you can get glutathione into your body. So I hope that's helpful, Sharon. Thank you for the question. This next question is a very interesting one. This is from a woman named Jackie, and she has a rare retinal disease. So I'm going to try to pronounce it. It's called idiopathic juxtaphobia telincia ecstasis, or the uh, short for, for form is called IJT. She says that she's had this condition for about 10 years, and she's not crazy about the laser surgery or eye infections. So what, what is this condition? Well, this is a rare uh, idiopathic, meaning we don't really know the cause, of uh, a problem in the retina, specifically the retina vessels that surround the uh, fovea. The fovea is the center part of our retina where we see detail. And inside the fovea is the macula, which I've talked a lot about in terms of things like macular pucker, macular degeneration. But in this particular condition, if you looked at a picture of it, you would actually see these white marks that surround the fovea. So this is in the back of the eye where the retina is. And if you do some fluorescein angiography, you can actually uh, see how the blood vessels are leaking around there. And this can create fluid buildup around the fovea or macula. We call this cystoid macular edema. And you can see this through a variety of different scanning systems and photography. But the bottom line is that with this condition, you know, the symptoms include things like blurred vision or uh, visual field loss, um, even distorted vision. The allopathic way of dealing with this is using injections, perhaps laser surgery, which is basically a symptom approach. So it's very important to note that the retina 
has one of the highest metabolic needs of the body. And in a condition like this, I would really be focusing, number one, on the diet. I would really take a look at eating an anti-inflammatory diet, mostly plant-based, with loads of antioxidants, the vitamin A's, vitamin E's, things like uh, quercetin, bilberry, the B vitamins, um, and then your trace minerals. Specifically, the carotenoids, lutein and zeaxanthin and astaxanthin, you need to be infusing your retina with these. So you need to eat foods in the rainbow diet. Now, you can certainly do a very concentrated eye supplement. Uh, this would include things like a, a glutathione uh, situation where you're adding glutathione. You want to make sure you're getting enough fats and oils, specifically omega-3 fatty acids. So the diet is really important. And with this condition, one of the things that I would really focus on is your glucose levels. Because there may be a correlation in these types of conditions where the blood vessels become weakened and your glucose levels in the body. So this means cutting out high glycemic sugars, carbs. This may be, excuse me, this may be a uh, possibility if you work with a functional medicine doctor to think about maybe doing a ketogenic diet. Now, I'm not promoting that because I don't know your medical history, but certainly going to a functional medicine doctor would be top of my list. Because I do think a lot of these eye conditions are related to inflammation, oxidative stress, visual stress, your lifestyle, your sleep. So these are things that I would really consider. And I think you could really boost your eye nutrients and it would support this area of the eye much more. Obviously, using blue blocker glasses for any digital work you're doing is a must. I would probably do my retinal health 90-day eye clarity program. The physical eye therapy is awesome for these kinds of conditions. The eyes respond very well to these exercises in creating new perceptions, new awarenesses, using different parts of the eyeball. These would be all things that uh, would be so beneficial to you, even if you're suffering a visual field loss. I'm going to go back to the dairy for a minute. Um, the dairy around what we eat as it relates to cystoid macular edema. Um, I've helped a lot of people with wet macular degeneration, cystoid macular edema, by taking them completely off dairy products. Uh, again, there's a dampness going on in your body that's reflected in the eye, coupled with a weakening of your blood vessels in the eye. So all the things that you can do to uh, eliminate or reduce the risk factors, that's where you need to go with this. I would consider acupuncture, see if that could help you. Um, I might consider getting some lymph support, 
whether that's through lymph drainage, massage therapy, or craniosacral therapy. Uh, these would be things that I would definitely be including. So I would treat this as a very holistic, whole body tune-up. And in doing that, I think at the very least, it could reduce some of the effects going on. I'm not saying it's going to heal the condition, but that you wouldn't notice it as much. So that's, uh, that's my take on it. Thank you. All right, let's move to the next question. This is from Karen. She says, I have the following eye diagnosis and want to know what you recommend in terms of supplements and eye exercises. I don't know which ones to do. Essential oils, rebounding. What do you think? All right, Karen. So let's run through the list of diagnoses that you have. Lattice degeneration, which is um, a deterioration of the retina. Uh, vitreous sinaresis, meaning that the vitreous is shrinking. Uh, floaters, dry eye syndrome, myopia, uh, ocular migraines, nuclear sclerotic cataracts. Uh, what can I do? Okay, well, this is a great question because, you know, when our eyes let us down, we want to blame it on the eyeball itself, but really, you know, when our eyes uh, are developing these different conditions, what the eyes are really saying, help, I'm not getting enough food, I'm not getting enough nutrients, I'm not getting enough hydration in these sensitive eye tissues. Now, the eyes uh, contain an incredible amount of blood vessels, high amounts of vascularization. So they rely on our body's ability to nourish these different tissues, whether it's the cornea, the lens of the eye, the retina, specifically the macula, the vitreous. These, these particular um, uh, conditions occur because these parts of the eye anatomy are not getting enough oxygenation and hydration. So what eye doctors were trained to do is be in a reactive mode. You've got this condition, X, let's give you treatment Y. And the treatment Y we're going to give you is allopathic. It's treating a symptom. But we're not looking at the whole eye. We're not even looking at the whole person. But the place I would start is what is your gut health like? How are you absorbing your food? What's your detoxification pathway like? Are you suffering any traumas, unresolved traumas? Uh, what are you doing in terms of glasses or contact lens prescriptions, especially in your digital world? How's your sleep? What's your endocrine health like? Um, what's your stress like? You know, these are all components and causative factors on why your eyes are letting you down. So I would probably start with a naturopathic or functional medicine doctor. And I would assess your overall health. What's your health quotient like? And I would get you on a plan that detoxes the body, increases your dietary absorption, improves the microbiome, reduces inflammation, reduces oxidative stress. Now, whether you do that through, you know, some dietary changes and or supplementation, uh, that's going to depend on what your lab work is showing. Now, in terms of specific things that you can do to support better eye health, 
definitely. I would do the MSM eye drops, the Cineraria homeopathic eye drops. I would consider uh, my eye clarity program, and you know the one that I would probably work with would, would, would be the one that reduces myopia. And the reason why I say that is because myopia is probably the earliest and deepest visual imbalance that you developed as a way to um, deal with your visual world. And myopia has a pattern that actually constricts and contracts the eye circulation, the eye lymph. It's a stress pattern that teaches you to tunnel your vision. And then if you do wear lenses, it embeds that tunneling and that tightness. So doing the 90-day eye clarity program for nearsightedness would be the one I would choose. I would add these other eye drops and possible eye nutrients. And I would get yourself to a functional medicine doctor and see what's going on systemically. Thank you so much for the question. All right, last question today. This is from Jacqueline. Hi, Jacqueline, and thank you for your question. You're 30 years old, and within the past two years, you've had LASIK surgery, um, and you're suffering dry eye. You also have an increase in floaters. You have eye strain. You can feel the nerves and muscles in your eyes, and you also have been diagnosed with a condition called white dot syndrome. So, there's no question that LASIK surgery can wreak havoc on our eyes. Uh, I did a video somewhere, somewhere in my uh, archives. There was a research study done on LASIK surgery, and most of the people who had the surgery were not happy with it within three months after the surgery. There's no question when you cut nerves uh, in the cornea, uh, whether it's through cataract surgery or LASIK surgery, you may develop these secondary conditions like dry eye syndrome specifically. It also can have an effect on your overall eye circulation, and the vitreous is the gel-like part of the eye that if it begins to shrink and dry out because it's made of mostly collagen, some of the uh, protein specks and flecks can break off this collagen from the vitreous, and this is what causes floaters. So the, the strategy at this point would probably to recognize that the pre-LASIK prescription is overriding the post-LASIK prescription. So I hope you can understand what I mean by that, but the the reason why we develop a prescription to begin with is based mostly, oh, mostly on environmental stresses. There is a genetic predisposition, I'll grant you that, but mostly it's how we use our eyes, and especially in myopia, we develop myopia as a way to deal with some level of visual stress, and we pull in our world, we tighten our eyes, and the eye doctor gives us a lens that embeds that or validates that tightening. So in LASIK surgery, when they do the surgery, they're changing the eyeball, but the eyeball is the symptom of what the cause is, which is I pulled my visual world in and tightened it up, 
That hasn't changed after LASIK surgery. So it creates a mismatch. It creates a conflict between the brain and the eyes. So the eye exercise program for nearsightedness would be great for you. And the reason why I say that is because that would help you integrate the post-surgical prescription with the pre-surgical prescription. You get your brain involved through the exercise program to help integrate what the surgeon did. And that could actually help really relax and discharge the stress in the eyes that are creating some of these conditions. I think your diet is really important, especially for the dry eye. Boost your fats and oils, especially omega-3. Eat an anti-inflammatory diet. Increase your probiotics. Uh, you know, you've got to eat better. Uh, ways that, that you can reduce inflammation and stress in your body is critical. You may need blue blockers for your digital time. Get better sleep. Uh, get more exercise, aerobic exercise. Get natural sunlight every day. Uh, these are no-brainers in terms of overall lifestyle improvements. MSM eye drops would probably also be very helpful to you. You can do the eye massage, the eye bath. Um, I think these things would be very helpful. Now, you bring up a condition called white dot syndrome, and this is actually a condition that occurs on the retina. It's a pretty rare disease, um, and it's associated with autoimmune disease. Now, is this related to the LASIK surgery? It's hard to know. Uh, I can't say before, uh, for sure because I don't really know your medical history. However, what I will say about um, this white dot syndrome, it is definitely related to more inflammation that be, could be occurring, or it also could be related to autoimmune disease. So for the listeners, what is white spot syndrome? So it's a, it's a group of um, oh, whitish yellow uh, inflammatory lesions that occur at the uh, outer surface of the retina. Um, and this particular syndrome can affect the deeper layers of the retina. And there's definitely a systemic autoimmune possibility and a systemic inflammatory possibility related to it. In any retinal vessel condition, uh, the first thing that I think about is reducing or getting off a of dairy. Have you been exposed to mold or other environmental toxicities, including heavy metal toxicities and pesticides? And what is going on in your nutrient absorption in your gut? These would be some things that I would consider. Whether or not it is related to LASIK surgery, I don't know. I haven't seen the correlation, so uh, I would say that you may have had this tendency before the LASIK surgery, but uh, in any event, your eyes are asking you to up the bar in terms of your overall systemic metabolic health, reducing your stress, taking better care of your eyes, and these would be ways to do it. So I think it's a great question. I think you spotlight some of the side effects of LASIK surgery, 
And I think it's important to know that before you go into that procedure. And uh, I think it's really, really helpful to talk about. So that is our show for today. It's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. Keep sending me your questions. Love this uh, format in terms of podcasts, getting some great reviews. So until next time, please take care. You're listening to a podcast with Dr. Sam Byrne. To learn more about his seminars and workshops, visit his website, www.drsambyrne.com. The Byrne Method is a trademarked signature of Dr. Sam Byrne for his workshops, seminars, books, and DVDs. The information presented in this podcast is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose for this podcast is to provide information for educational purposes only. Dr. Byrne and his guests have no liability or responsibility to any person or entity for loss, damage, injury caused, or allegedly caused through the information, exercises, suggestions, explorations, or written responses presented in this podcast. Dr. Byrne is not a medical authority and his guests are not qualified to diagnose or treat any disease or health problem. This podcast is not a substitute for medical care. Dr. Byrne's information is only his personal opinion. If you have any health problem, please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have.